0: you to tell you what we believe. So I I can hear you loud and clear quire.
1: up
0: at the tree. Here we are lifting up. Our hands and our hearts to worship you to tell you we believe.
2: You couldn't hear me.
0: Yeah. Thank you so, so much.
2: beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, eta, theta, iota, kappa, lambda. If you would uh, gather back, make your way back slowly, and uh, turn to Psalm 67, as you do. Psalm 67. Someone cranked this. That was part of our problem. Oh, really? All right, keep talking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that. Okay, Ooh, let's begin, shall we? It is hot out there. So, let's, we're reading from Psalm 67, <clears throat> verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. God, we pray that you would give us uh, eager minds and soft hearts, that uh, we, would, we would come with humility to learn from your word today. Um, we pray that you would give us this vision that the psalmist speaks of in Psalm 67, that the nations would come to saving knowledge um, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm a, I'm a fairly optimistic guy. I'm easygoing, pretty relaxed, and have a sunny disposition. But there is one dark and morbid thing about me that not a lot of people know about, which is uh, when it comes to fictional movies, I always enjoy a good death scene. <laughs> Let me explain, because it's at the death scene, right? It's, 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 a good death scene is usually a good indicator that the rest of the movie is good as well. Uh, a terrible death scene will almost uh, guarantee that the, the movie was not worth watching. Some of the movie's most memorable dialogue is in and around the death scene. The dialogue here usually tells us what the whole movie is about. For example, I'm sure, I, I know that there are fans of Braveheart out here, and what does William Wallace cry out right before the end? Cry it out. Freedom! Freedom! That's right, I can't shout too loud, otherwise the the speakers will go crazy. What about Gladiator? Uh, Just after Maximus perishes in the Colosseum, Lucilla turns to one of the Roman senators and says this, Is Rome worth one good man's life? We believed it once. Make us believe it again. Powerful words which tell us what the whole movie is about. But perhaps a more obscure example comes from one of my favorite Marvel movies called Doctor Strange. Uh, Spoiler alert, uh, one of the major characters perishes at the end of the movie, but I figure if you haven't seen it yet, uh, you you probably won't see it. Uh, The Ancient One dies right before the end, but before she does, her and Doctor Strange have this conversation. Ancient One, you always excelled, not because you crave success, but because of your fear of failure. Doctor Strange, it's what made me a great doctor. Ancient one, it's precisely what kept you from greatness. Arrogance and fear still keep you from learning the simplest and most significant lesson of all. It's not about you. In addition to summarizing the entire plot of Doctor Strange, this last line, it's not about you, nicely summarizes the plot of psalm 67 psalm 67 is a missionary psalm given to the people of god but all the way through it's uh, it's force is turned outward to the nations it's as if god is telling us from top to bottom it's not about you it's not about you go and count just how many times peoples nations and the earth are repeated in just 7 verses I count 10 or 11 times. In the psalm, the people of God long to see the nations participating in the worship of their God. The people of God long to hear all the nations in all their different languages joining in the chorus of praise. My challenge for you this morning is, does this intense desire describe you? Does this intense longing describe Jacob's Well Church? Does Jacob's well long to see the nations participating in God's praise? Do we long to hear all the nations joining in the chorus of praise? This is not a vapid sentiment, it's a true desire, or at least it should be. And true desires always find expression in a sense of duty and responsibility. You see, it is far too easy for us to seek God's blessing as an end in itself. It is too easy to pray to be blessed that we might be blessed. God wants to bless us, that is certain, but not for our own sake. He is our God, but he is not ours to monopolize. The reason that God blesses his people is so that they will be a blessing to the world. And when we get a handle on this idea, this biblical idea, this, this missionary heart of God, we don't stop seeking blessing, but we start seeking blessing more earnestly for God's own intended outcome the salvation of a dying world. In Psalm 67, we learn about the goal of missions, the benefit of missions, and the resources for missions. The goal. The benefits, and the resources. Let's, uh, let's dive into the goal then. In verse 1, the psalm begins with a paraphrase of some famous uh, words, a blessing from Numbers 6, which you're probably familiar with. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us. God's face here is a metaphor for his presence. When God's face shines, it is the opposite of an angry and scowling face. When his face is turned toward, that is the opposite of a face turned away in disgust and, and contempt. You see, in, in Scripture, when God turns his face away from his people, he withdraws his presence. But when his face shines towards his people, this signals his warm and life-giving presence. Now, the psalmist also asks God to bless us to bless us as the people of God. And the biblical concept of blessedness is simple. It's really just a state of happiness, joy, contentment, but it also speaks to a state of fullness. We're not lacking anything. Now, this is exactly what the presence of God brings. The presence of God is the heart and the grounds, the prerequisite for all of these other blessing, blessings, where the presence of God is there is great blessing Where it is not, there is none. So we must seek to live in the presence of God. You'll notice that the first two lines of verse 1 both end with the word us. Bless us, shine upon us. But when we get to verse 2, it turns immediately outward to the nations. The psalmist says, bless us, shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth your saving power among all nations. The verb known here means not only intellectual knowledge, but experiential knowledge. So this is nothing less than the experience of salvation, the giving of new hearts, the forming of new creatures, the breathing in of new life. And this is what the psalmist wants for the world. Verse 1 and 2 together, really echo a, a prominent biblical theme that runs all the way back to Genesis 12:2 where God says to Abraham I will make a great I'll make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing there's this idea of being blessed so that you will be a blessing and this is really the heart of the great commission you know, we, we typically think of Matthew 28 as the Great Commission, where Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But it's kind of the second Great Commission, because the first Great Commission is in Genesis 12. So when God says to Abraham, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing, we see that this missionary heart of God has been there from the beginning. The reason the people of God desire God's blessing is so that they can be a conduit or a vehicle or agent of blessing to the world. As God blesses his people, the psalmist says that the rest of the world will find themselves drawn to God and join in the chorus of praise. And we see this repeated in verses 3 and 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Again, he is our God, but he is not ours to monopolize. He wants to get through us to the nations. In Psalm 67, we see the people of God seeking God's great blessing as a means to the greatest end, which is the salvation of the nations, the multiplying of worshippers throughout the world. Psalm 67 is a prayer of blessing on us so that blessing might come to them. The greatest end. My family and I, as many of you know, are are heading back to South Africa in just just a couple of months here, God willing, to be long-term missionaries to orphans over there. Now, the organization we're working with, Door of Hope, is in the process of building and developing a neighborhood where orphans who are not being adopted can be cared for and raised in a Christ-centered community. Thanks. The vision for this neighborhood is great. Down the line, they want to have family homes with parents caring for five to six kids in a home they want to have a church on site they want to have school clinic vegetable gardens playgrounds this vision for the neighborhood is great but if our goal was only to build a neighborhood we would fail miserably if we take it one step further let's say the neighborhood is built and we also successfully recruit and train parents and teachers and mentors to love and care for these kids This would be a greater goal than the neighborhood itself, but in itself would still constitute failure. You see, all of these things must get us to the greatest goal, which is to see these orphans we work with come to embrace and love Jesus Christ as we do. The greatest goal is that God would adopt them into His family to be their Heavenly Father. The lesser goals of the neighborhood and the teachers and mentors serve this greatest goal. So what about you? In your lives and in the life of the church, are you keeping the greatest goal, the greatest goal? As business people, teachers, students, medical professionals, you're probably involved in a lot of good and even great work. But let me encourage you, don't let the good and great things you do keep you from this greatest goal, which is always to see dead people live, lost people saved. Idolaters come to be worshippers of the only true and living God. Thanks, Andrew. Live in such a way that the good and great things that you're involved in every day serve this greatest end. You see, Psalm 67 shows us that the goal of missions is the salvation of the nations, the multiplying of worshippers? But what are the benefits of, minif- of missions? Well in verse 4 we see this grand vision of God as king and ruler not only of his people but of the whole world. This is a grand vision of the new heavens and new earth, the consummation. We read in verse 4, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples of the earth and guide the nations upon earth. You see, his reign is joyful, and this is a joy that arises from his perfect fairness. The way that the psalm describes this joyful reign is by combining the word, the impartiality of the word judge with the shepherd-like concern of the word guide. Judge and guide. You see, when God reigns, it is grace from beginning to end. Not only does he set the standard as judge, but he enables to navigate that standard as guide. He does not only build the path and its guardrails, he is also the good shepherd that leads us down the path. God is the perfect king. Shepherd king is the perfect ruler. Contrast this to the fallen political and cultural rulers of our time, who are capricious, fickle, even volatile. On the one hand, they want to make no moral judgments. On the other, they want to control, seem bent on controlling all moral judgments. And there's a schizophrenic bouncing between tolerance and tyranny. Take another example. There's a a lot of talk these days about victims and oppressors. At the heart of this is a cry for cosmic justice that victims will be raised up and oppressors uh, torn down. The the irony is that the the fallen uh, cultural rulers and movements of our time cannot bring about this perfect fairness that we all so desperately seek. They're looking for justice in all the wrong places. You see, they have the right impulse, which is the seeking of justice, but all the wrong methods, the wrong aims, And they have the wrong king. Only God as king, only in God's rule can we find perfect fairness that we all so desperately seek. Only in God's rule do we see these things brought together, conviction and forgiveness, strength and tenderness, justice and mercy. In Psalm 67 we see a picture of God's perfect rule in the new heavens and new earth, but as the church advances through the missionary endeavor, we see a small glimpse of his reign coming in and through the church, and this brings more joy to the world. How do the nations of the world get to know God's rule? Well, this principle is always true. Non-Christians are watching us. They're asking, what difference does this make in the life of this Christian? What difference does his belief make? Where is her God? Someone has said that the greatest hindrance to missions today is the failure of the church to provide evidence in her life of this joy that comes from being ruled by a perfectly just, fair and loving king. The world is sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, Looking for evidence in your life. Someone else has said this, which I I love this quote. If being a Christian were a crime, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If being a Christian were a crime, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If someone looked at your life, would they find evidence of you being ruled by a loving, powerful, and graciously just king? Psalm 67 tells us that the goal of missions is God's salvation, the multiplying of worshippers. It also says that as the church advances, as God's uh, rule is extended in and through the church, this benefit of his rule comes to the world. Thirdly, in Psalm 67, we see that the resources for missions are God's material blessing and provision. Now, you might be like me. Uh, when I hear anyone speak about God's material blessing on his people, I want to kind of walk out of the room, right? I get a little bit uh, antsy. And it's probably because, you know, you, m- you may be able to uh, relate here that uh, I have a foul taste left in my mouth by the prevalence of the prosperity gospel in our, in our society. Now, you know, the prosperity gospel turns God into a cosmic Oprah, You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. But, I mean, the prosperity gospel is obviously no gospel at all. It is obviously trash, and it's really sad how many people are captivated by it because it turns God's material blessing into an end, into a highest end. But just because the prosperity gospel has hijacked and twisted God's material blessings to become some kind of uh, sick end in themselves, right? this doesn't mean that God doesn't have material blessing for his people. We are material people. We have physical bodies. We inhabit a physical world. Both reason and scripture, even here in Psalm 67, bear witness that some of God's blessings come to us in the form of physical things, in the form of material things. And we see this in in verse 6. We find here a concrete manifestation of of God's blessing in the form of of abundant crops. Abundant crops in verse 6. Look with me there. The psalmist says, the earth has yielded its increase. You see, desiring material blessing is not a bad thing. Indeed, the psalmist is confident here that material blessing does in fact come because he says in the context of the earth yielding its increase in the context of these abundant crops at the the hand of God right he says twice God our God shall bless us God shall bless us the application for us is to not stop desiring God's blessing but to desire it more earnestly for the right reason as he says in the last line there, he says that all the, earth of the, uh, all the ends of the earth fear him. Okay, The, the reason God blesses us is for the s- that his saving benefits may come to others. We serve a God who brings much out of little, and he can take what little resources we have to bless the entire world. But there is a danger. The reason the Prosperity gospel is uh, so popular is because it's easy, because although material blessing is uh, uh, probably the smallest part of the way God blesses us, it is also perhaps the largest stumbling block. And the, earth, the, the world is always watching Christians, and, and when they see this, seeking God's blessing for their, just seeking God's blessing for their own benefits, it's repulsive. It's contemptible to the world. Uh, but Psalm 67 gives us this confidence that when we seek God's blessing for His intended un- outcome, so that He will bless the world. When the watching world sees that, it is attractive, winsome, and magnetic. That's why we see this ref- repeated refrain, refrain May all the pe- let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Now, a psalm like this 67 might seem a little bit distance a, a little bit distant to to a lot of people here because most people here today are probably not called to be a missionary in some foreign land and this psalm does specifically speak about the nations not uh, including America but all the nations of the world coming to know God uh, but not although not all of us are are called to be missionaries somewhere, we are all called to be part of this vision that Psalm 66 lays out. We would be called to be some way a part of the missionary endeavor of God's saving benefits going out to all nations. And to help you think through that, to help you think through your parts as individuals, families, and as the church, let me offer this, this illustration. You see, when we think about missions, it's like God shooting an arrow into a field. Uh, the arrow is the missionary and the church is God's bow that he uses to shoot that missionary into the field. If we zoom in on the, on the arrow, the, the shaft of the arrow is, is perhaps the word and spirit. The arrow head is prayer. Okay? The, the kingdom of God does not advance without these things. It pierces the darkness, it's, uh, it, it advances the kingdom. It is the most important piece of the arrow. But if, if, uh, if, that's, if you have the shaft and the arrowhead, then the feathers are probably like material resources, right? Because they help that missionary arrow kind of meet its mark. They help it take flight and actually get where God is aiming it. And God is sovereign over all these things. Over the bow, over the arrowhead, the shaft, the feathers, the field that it's being shot out into. Now, you might be an arrow, and that is a good question to consider. Are you being called to be shot out into the field? Specifically to the nations, kind of what Psalm 66 is speaking about here. But if you are not, consider these four questions to help you find your part in the missionary endeavor. First question what arrowheads are you sharpening with your prayers? Second, is Jacob's well an effective bow launching missionaries into the field? Con- connected to that question, how could it be better? Third question, which fields are we launching arrows into? Are we, are we concentrating in one area? Are we, are we spreading them out? Is there a way to prioritize that? And then the fourth question is, where are you adding feathers to missionary arrows to help them meet their mark, as families and as the church. Let me close with this. I started out by saying that the dialogue in and around the death scene uh, of major characters, especially is really, really important because it tells us what the whole movie is about. Well, the same can be said about the words of Jesus in and around his death and resurrection, but far more than telling us what just some movie is about, it really helps us plot our lives. It could help us figure out what our lives should be about. Now, the Psalm begins with the the Psalmist praying that God would have His face shine upon us. The reason God shines His face upon His people today is because at the cross, He turned His face away from His Son. The reason God is able and does shine His face on sinners Is because he put our sin on the cross and turned his face away. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. By these words, we we learn that everything needed to accomplish the salvation of the nations that we read about in Psalm 67 is complete in the life and death of Jesus. And when Jesus says in Matthew 28 in the second Great Commission, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them what I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. We see that although everything needed to accomplish the salvation of the nations is complete, the the church's mission is not complete because it hasn't gone out to all the nations. We don't see that consummate vision yet. Um, we have everything we need in the presence of Jesus who promises to be with us always. It is because we have his presence with us that we are blessed. It is because of his presence that we can press toward this goal of the multiplying of worshipers throughout the world. It is because of Jesus' presence with us that we, we can be confident that as The church advances through the missionary endeavor that his his joyful rule will be extended in and through his church and it is because of the presence of jesus with us that we can we're enabled to use our resources to serve this greatest end to to uh to see the salvation of the world and and the multiplying of worshipers with that let's pray Our God we pray that this uh, this great and grand desire that you've you've laid before us in in psalm 67 would come to describe us Lord we uh, yeah we repent that we often don't think of others um, we uh, please forgive us um, when we do seek your blessing um, for our own sake um, but God by your grace would you would you give us soft hearts would you Help us to desire this, this, your, uh, your saving rain going out to the nations, that they will come to joyfully worship you, um, that this rain will spread throughout the world, and that you will enable us to be a blessing to our neighbors and to the nations. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Alright, uh, as Jason reminded us, it is finished, um, and we can be grateful for that. As we move into a time of communion, um, we have this chance uh, to reflect on what Christ has done for us, um, and we have a chance to meet with him uh, and be nourished by him. Uh, so as the elders and deacons uh, come forward, um, I'd like just to remind you that this is, this is a family meal. Um, this is for anyone who has uh, professed Christ as their Savior, who has been baptized in a Christian church. uh, And if that is not the case for you, I would encourage you to refrain, uh, to hold off from taking communion this week. Uh, Find one of those deacons, those elders. Uh, You can talk to myself. We would love to talk to you about what does it mean to be baptized? What does it mean to become a Christian and put your faith in him? So... Take a moment to commune with the Lord as the elements continue to be distributed. mm Christ's body broken for you, let us eat. And his blood shed for your salvation, let us drink together. Father, we are thankful for your sending of your Son. For your great love for us, for this church, Jacob's Well, for the city of Green Bay, and for the world. Uh, Father, we ask that you would continue to work in our hearts uh, to have a love uh, for your church, for this city, and for the nations, Uh, Lord, that we would be obedient in your call on our lives uh, to share this good news that we have. Lord, let it be uh, truly good news in our hearts. Um, Let us find joy uh, and delight and peace um, in this good news of your gospel. We pray this in your name. Amen. Please stand as we respond, singing the very psalm which Jason just preached for us. We'll sing the first verse twice just you can uh, become more familiar with it. benediction from numbers six twenty four through 26 the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace go in peace